Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Okay, and welcome everybody. Today I'm speaking to Mark. Um, not sure how to pronounce your last name actually. Haupt. Mark Haupt. Mark brings over 25 years of extensive information security and information technology experience in a wide range of industries and institutions. He holds the Master's of Information Security and Assurance degree. Uh, he has numerous security and technical certifications from, from what I read, CISSP, CCSP, CEH, CHFI, Security Plus, Network Plus, and probably more. Uh, I know you have a lot of uh, extensive experience with FedRAMP, HIPAA, PCI DSS. Um, I know you're a member of ISC2, um, ASIS International, IAP, and, and ISACA. Uh, and I think right now you're the acting CISO of, and you're actually the CISO of DataBank. Correct. Um, and, you know, I think this is a great point where you can jump in and, you know, just give a quick uh, background description about yourself and your history, maybe? Sure, absolutely. Thank you very much for the introduction. And uh, certainly those uh, acronyms that are around the certifications and such with my name are, are a mouthful. But just to put it simply, uh, yes, I am the CISO at DataBank. I've been with DataBank for six and a half years in that role and in that position which is, as we all know, in the CISO world, that's a, a lifetime. Uh, so kind of a, a Methuselah of, uh, of a CISO uh, type of situation. But uh, prior to being a CISO, I've spent uh, many, uh, many years in uh, everything from military government work to financial sectors. I uh, worked myself up from being a cryptologist in the military to uh, working even on help desks inside of uh, financial organizations and inside of healthcare institutions. So my background with HIPAA goes all the way back to the beginning, uh, dealing with uh, financial institutions, Sarbanes-Oxley and GLBA, things like that from the beginning of those. And I also have some really fun stuff in my background do, dealing with forensic investigations. I was introduced to that and got a couple of certifications regarding NCASE and, and a few of those types of tools uh, while working at one of the financial institutions. So there's a lot of stories behind that one as well, being able to not only conduct employee investigations that are pretty standard with HR, but actually putting people in jail for the credit card theft and credit card fraud that they've done. Uh, through uh, in, inside of uh, inside of an organization, so that a lot of little fun stuff going along, and then I spent seven years uh, in the academic world as well as the CTO and CISO of a very small university here in Central Illinois, where I live right now. Okay, and thank you for that introduction. Uh, yeah, it's definitely um, um, a very diversified uh, history, I think you, you, you would have. I mean, you mentioned forensic investigation, working for both the 
government space, military and, and financial tech and yeah, and conducting you know investigations as well. Um, very diverse and interesting. Yeah, not the common uh, season. No. Let just let just say that. Um, okay. Um, so, and just to break the ice, what can you tell us about yourself uh, in terms of your marital status? Yeah. And maybe favorite so, drink. So all those things that could be used by a social engineering uh, person to uh, to take over, right? Exactly. So, exactly. But you know, I I have gotcha. faith in you that you don't keep your uh, you know kids' birthdays gotcha. passwords. That's exactly so. right. So actually, I do call myself the transparent CISO because I've had a number of conversations like this. So I am married, um, have been for 24 years this year, and will be. Uh, we have three three kids, and all of them have uh, gone off uh, from high school into the real world. Uh, one of them is in the military right now. I'm proud of all three of the, the successes of my kids and, and the young men that they've grown into and uh, and very, very proud of the different education, different paths that they've gone in life. So none of them have followed wow. along the security path like I have, but one of them has followed the military path and and uh, another one is following a technology path with social media and, and podcasting and things along those lines. So uh, they, they kind of take some deviations, but they've, they've gone there and that route. Um, I love going to Montana. I, I live in Illinois, very flat land, but I love going to Montana. I love being in the mountains and, and going up doing hiking. And, and one of my passions uh, is photography, which has two different avenues. Uh, if you if you do go out on social media and whatnot and do uh, searches, you'll see I have uh, photography of wildlife and uh, and mountain landscapes, and I also do aviation photography. One of the things that uh, that I got to do about 10, 12 years ago is actually follow a an air show team around as photographer and videographer for a summer to about, to about a half dozen different air shows here in the Midwest. And uh, I was part of their crew, so I got to be behind the scenes and, and enjoy that. But I, I've loved aviation and love uh, doing the photography for most of my life. I grew up in the military. My dad was in the military. We spent time moving all across the country and overseas. And so being around air bases, being around the military type of situation, I, I fell in love with the aviation aspect of it. Okay, very interesting. And remind me to to talk to you after the podcast about okay. something related to that. Uh, yeah, I, I was stuck on the fact that you have three boys. I mean, it's, yeah, it seems like a lot. But, uh, mm -hmm. and and what about your favorite drink? I know a lot of Caesars are single malt yeah. type of Type of people. Yeah, well, for a couple of different reasons, I actually don't. Uh, I, I don't drink uh, alcohol or liquor, but my favorite drink is Coke. How's that? Pretty, pretty tame. Wow. But even even that, I don't drink very often. Um, even that, I I do water uh, quite frequently. And and I'll, I'll tell you just a little bit of a, a little bit of a thing with me is um, it, it's a little bit of a challenge uh, is is keeping the weight off and. And so I'm very rigid and very disciplined about what I what I put in. And, and in the past year and well, a year this month, I've actually lost 120 pounds and uh, gotten, gotten myself back into shape. So. Wow, that's a lot. And see, that's what CISO, yeah. being a CISO will do to you as you sit there and you, you drink and, you know, Cokes, malt liquors, whatever you want to, in order to get through it. And then it comes to a point where that has to stop. So. <laughs> Health okay, reasons yeah, for impressive. it. Impressive. I mean, if I could, I would drink Coke all day, every day. 
I love it, but uh, I try to limit to like just every once in a while mm -hmm. when I go out. But, so we never yep. buy coke. We don't have coke in the house and, you know, right. stuff like that. And I also, I lost like 38 pounds in the last year, but, you know, 120 is pretty impressive. Well, 38, 38 uh, okay. is impressive too with, uh, you know, a lot of people put it on during COVID, but it looks like we, we took it off, so... Well, I also have a lot of discipline. So, you know, I start my morning usually with a 9.5 um, 9 mile run. Wow. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to put it on the podcast, but yeah, I'm, I'm also <laughs> quite disciplined in that uh, manner. Um, yeah, so let's jump right in. Um, let me ask you a couple of questions here again, just to be able to better understand you and your mindset. Mm -hmm. uh what's the one thing that you wish you had known when you began your career wow uh, so there's a ton of things i wish i had known uh first of all it has really nothing to do with security it has everything to do with what we just talked about with uh, discipline and and wisdom uh you know lots of times when we're younger men when we're younger younger people in general uh we we seem to be very brash and we go in all force and and very opinionated. And one of the things that I've learned over time that's been that's made me a successful CISO is to sit back and listen more than I talk. Uh, when I was much younger, I would talk more than I listened. So when you listen to people, you can you can ex extract from them what their real concerns, their fears, and uncertainties and doubts are. And you can also extract from them, you know, from a technology perspective as a CISO, you can extract more data and you can extract more, uh, more information, have a dialogue instead of, instead of ticking people off and closing them down. So listening, um, having a little bit more wisdom to do that and having a little bit more discipline to keep the mouth uh, shut is probably the biggest thing that I would, uh, I would say. Yeah, and, and I would also add that, in my opinion, I found out that listening to your colleagues, customers, and peers, mm -hmm. rather than just, you know, just blabbing, like right out, is uh, is actually, a, you know, a good technique to employ anyhow. And it, it, it's, even, it's even a good, in my opinion, it's even a good sales technique, because, you know, you get to listen to your potential customer, you get to learn about their pain points, and then you might, you know, you you can you can decide like if 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 there's a fit or not. But right. um, yeah, and I think it plays well with other answers that I that I've gotten so far. That uh, you know, surround yourself by be the the the, the most stupid um, stupid man in the room. Surround yourself by by, by you know smarter people than yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and and yeah. having uh, yeah, and having uh, touched about that, what would you say your biggest uh, failure was in your career? Well, I've got a couple. I, I've got more than a couple of those, but uh, probably my biggest failure was what I just talked about a, a moment ago. Uh, from from a personality perspective, um, I recall when when I was in the military, um, I. I was, uh, be, because of a lot of reasons, I, I was very disciplined and very, very focused. And so I was promoted, not just in rank, but also with awards and different things like uh, Junior Sailor of the Year and things like that. And when I transferred from one command to the other, the first command was one that was really just just pushing that ego and pushing that that uh, that uh, promoting me as a person and pushing forward and saying, just keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, I went to a different command where I, I stepped right in the door. I didn't listen. I didn't 
uh, wait for people to learn who I was. I stepped right in the door with that ego that I left the previous command from. And it totally ruined the 18 months that I was there. It ruined friendships or potential friendships. It ruined professional relationships. It soured me on being a continued member of the military. And and as a result, I got out uh, of the military, which there's good and bad in that. I probably wouldn't be a CISO right now if I'd stayed in the military. But um, that that was probably one of the biggest failures that I had was, was not just being patient and being calm, but taking that very aggressive approach, that very aggressive ego with me straight in the door and expecting other people to bow down to who another organization had made me already and not realizing that that making me in that other organization had taken a two-year process uh, from the point in which I walked in the door. So that's one failure. A technical failure that I like to share about, and, and I share this with younger folks quite frequently, I was operating a mainframe communication system, again, for the military, um, and I was in Washington, D.C., so I'll let your mind go from there as to who I might have been helping service uh, through that communication system, but in the middle of the night, um, I punched the wrong buttons, and that communication system went down. In order for, It was an old mainframe back in you know, 1991, 92 timeframe, so it was 1960s technology, and it required 15, 20 minutes to reboot and put it back online. And so for a period of 15 or 20 minutes, let's just say some very high ranking uh, political and other officials of the United States may not have been able to get their communications traffic through the primary means. Of course, there's always backup solutions, but and it was all my fault. So um, that that was a, a huge technical failure. But what I do is I tell that story and then I immediately tell that, you know, the, the recovery of that owning the problem settling down and being disciplined and and not making those kinds of mistakes in the future is how you get through it instead of being the type of person that would say um well somebody didn't train me right or i didn't uh, the the documentation wasn't correct no if you own the problem uh then you can correct the problem yourself and and get through that Mm -hmm. yeah that certainly sounds like a glorified uh, failure here but you know it seems that you were able to take Mm -hmm. a lot of value out of it so and Mm -hmm. as uh, someone told me in one of our my previous episodes uh, i think his phrase was failure is a feedback loop that you learn out of so Mm -hmm. uh yeah, a phrase I would use is fail forward. You know, lots of times yeah. when we fall, we, we we fall and we collapse and, and then it takes time for us to get up. But if you fail forward, you're still moving in that forward direction and you get up and then you keep on going. Yeah, definitely. And having touched on uh, on these uh, few failures, what would you say, what would you pin as your biggest accomplishment? Well, again, this could go down so many different verticals. My biggest accomplishment is um, is raising my boys uh, to, to be who they are. Um, I, I, family is important to me. Um, on the on the professional side of things, I think the last six six years or so has been a a, a huge and wonderful ride uh, here at DataBank, and has been a tremendous accomplishment for me. Um, moving, you know, moving into the CISO role, you, there were there were things that we had to correct whenever I came on board here. Um, we we stumbled a little bit with FedRAMP, and we recovered from that. Um, I built a team that's based on empowerment and trust, and 
and the you know I have very few people from my team here at DataBank that resign and move on to other and go to lo other locations. So our team is you know I've got some folks on my team that have been with me for five years and and more. And so I, I view that I view my current role right now as as a huge success and maintaining this role. Uh, you know, looking at you know either twice or three times longer than the average of a CISO in a role, which is either two or three years, depending on which which uh, statistics you look at. Being here for six and a half years is a tremendous accomplishment, and and having people you know, on the backside of that, having people uh, still look to me for for the right answers and and still respect the role that I'm in instead of writing writing me off as as a, a CISO that's you know too far on one side or the other writing that middle line and 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 having having a a, a sense of the business in mind uh, and bringing the security to the business is, is what's made a success out of this yeah and then that's a gutsy move by the way in my opinion because most CISOs I know tend to stick in their role anywhere between two to mm -hmm. four years. Uh, but, you know, by staying longer than that, you're really owning whatever right. potential issues you, you might right. have, right? You can't really blame anyone else but, exactly. but yourself. Uh, yeah, well, gutsy, as <laughs> I said. <laughs> uh, what advice would you want to give to someone that wanting to start uh, their career in cybersecurity right. and, you know, eventually maybe hold a similar position mm -hmm. to yours? So my, my biggest ad advice would be to map out your career from the start. Um, decide which vertical within security you want to go into and and um, but don't stick to that vertical. So one of the things that's made me successful is I, I'm what I call it a mile wide and an inch deep. So my technical knowledge, there's a there's th some things that I can I can really go deep on. I mean, you have to go deep when you're a forensic doing forensic analysis. So you have to understand the technology. But when you when, when you're going to want to be a CISO, there's there's a point where you have to pull back and you have to think about the breadth of knowledge that you need instead of the depth of the knowledge that you need. And so that's a that's a big piece of advice that I would give anybody that's wanting to be a CISO is know when to step back and look at a breadth. You know, try new roles. Take a step outside of what might be a traditional security role and rethink what you're doing. So, for example. I was a CISO and CTO inside of an academic a university uh, for seven years. When I was done with that process, I went and I took I took a complete step down and I went back into the, the grunt level work, if you will, as a business security analyst for a large, large financial insurance organization. And through that, I was able to reconnect at a lower level with the businesses and the technologies that has led to me being successful here at DataBank. Because now I now I understand um, much more about how the business operates and what the business needs in order to operate both. So I deliberately took that step back. So if you're wanting to be a CISO, Look at when you need to go to be that that um, mile wide instead of an inch deep type of solution, and be willing to take roles that might be less challenging or even less um, less a security role in order to to gain that breadth of knowledge that you need. 
Yeah, and I totally agree with that uh, mindset, by the way. I've given out uh, very similar pieces of advice to, you know, former employees of mine and colleagues and peers. Mm-hmm. I, I'm with you 100% on that. I do feel that in order to be successful in a Caesar role or, you know, in any uh, high level managerial capacity, you need to have a breath. Uh, you, you, need to, you need to understand like, you know, the landscape, you need to understand the mm-hmm. ecosystem, not specifically like, you know, just one silo right. out of it. And you can't be an expert on all silos, obviously. So yeah, definitely on you. I'm definitely with you on that. Um, and, you know, I know you mentioned that you're part of a previous organization, uh, you know, as part of you, fun- you had like an IT related function. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure like right now, who do you r- report to? Is it to an IT function or not? But just a general question, you know, a lot of CISOs in the industry, and I think there's a shift, but still a lot of CISOs in their industry are a part of the IT organization. Right. And, and there are obviously some pros and cons about that. Do you have any, any specific feelings or insights about that? Yeah, I've got a couple. I think, uh, first of all, CISOs uh, try and position themselves for power too much. I believe in leadership and not power. And I, I believe that any of our power should come through our leadership. Now, let me explain what that means. I, I am not, uh, as, as the CISO at Databank, I am technically not reporting to the CTO, but I report to the Vice President of Managed Services Operations, which is probably the most technical person uh, from an operational perspective in our entire organization. But I have responsibilities throughout the entire company. And so leadership is influence. And one of the things that we as CISOs need to do, regardless of where we are placed, we need to be able to politic and have influence in every aspect of the organization. And if you're not effective at at leadership, again, and and I'm specifically talking leadership, not management or not managing a program, but actual leadership where you're influencing a person and you're leading leading the charge, um, then that's probably something that you need to take a step back and figure out how you can be a better leader. Because once you're a better leader, then you can have that influence throughout the organization, you know, you get out there and you shake people's hands, you develop authentic relationships with people where they're willing to come to you and ask the tough questions because you're not going to turn around and give them the pat security answers. You're going to give them a, a, a qualified answer that says, okay, I understand you're doing this and this and this, and here's the best solution for you now, and here's the best solution for you in the future from a security perspective. So the leadership aspect of that and making sure that you drive that home uh, is is a key piece. So that's that's one thing that I would I, I would tell CISOs is to stop trying to power grab, stop trying to become uh, the the guy or the gal that that reports directly to the CEO and and has direct direct reporting to the board. All of that will come in time if you have leadership and influence within the organization. And I have that, and I don't report directly to the CEO, but I know this that I can pick up the phone and I can call or, or send an email to my CEO. And because I don't bug him with day-to-day things or day-to-day management type of stuff, if if I pick up that phone, he's gonna, my influence says, yeah, he, he's gonna pick up the phone and answer and have a good conversation about it and, and understand that my concern is real. So that's that's how I, I address the situation. I think that the CISOs are trying to power grab too much uh, right now. Yeah, and and I agree with you on that. So basically, what you're saying that it doesn't really, 
matter where your position in the organization, but it matters like the type of uh, network of, of relationships that you were able to, to build up and right. leadership skill that you were able to develop. And let me ask you a follow-up question. Do you think that's related to that experience share that you provided me with about your, um, you know, the second command when you came in and, you know, all, uh, all puffed with pride and full of ego? Yep. Mm -hmm. I, I think that that's, I think that's part of it because I saw where, where I failed in that and I learned from that. I, I learned that I can't just walk in and say, I'm CISO, so you will do what I say. <laughs> Um, or in that case, I can't just walk in and I literally, in that situation, I literally walked in and said, I was junior sailor of the year at the previous command and expected a, uh, a response that I wasn't getting as a result of that. I expected people to respect me just simply because I was wearing some title. And I, I think that you're right. I think I learned that early on that just because you have a title doesn't mean that you're going to effectively do that job. You have to find other means and, and influences and leadership in order to in, in order to attain what you're trying to to get to. Yeah, and I agree. Um, you know, and and being um, you know, and, and you've mentioned a lot of. Uh, like a lot of uh, experiences that you've had and a lot of positions. But I, I just wanted to ask you a quick question about the best mm -hmm. resources that have helped you along the way. Is there anything specific? Is it more along the lines of, you know, I don't know, like self-learning or is it anything? Is mm -hmm. it people? you have any specific well, thoughts? Yeah, all the above. So I, I would recommend that anybody wanting to move into a leadership position, even if you don't want to move into a leadership position, I think this is good for your life. You need to have you need to have three disciplines in your life. Number one is you need to have a mentor. You need to have somebody that you can look up to, somebody that can pour into your life and that you open up to with with and I don't want to get too mushy about it, but you open up to and you're willing to take the critique and the criticism from that individual and assume positive intent by them doing so. If you're not hearing that kind, you don't have that kind of person, you're, you're not hearing that voice in your life right now. Um, and, and this could apply from everything from being, uh, you know, a father and a husband, a family man, family woman uh, to, you know, to your job. If you don't have somebody in your life that can, that, that can speak truth into your life, then you're missing out on a, a ton of not only friendship and fun, but also growth and potential. Uh, people who close themselves off like and don't have that kind of thing, they tend to be stagnant. So that's number one. Um, number two is, is, is I, I do believe in education. Um, I don't necessarily, I do have a master's degree and a bachelor's degree, but I don't necessarily believe that you have to go to college in order to be successful. I think there's other ways to get an education, a formal education through certifications, um, through other means, but overall the category of having some sort of professional education uh, and, and make sure that you're a lifelong learner. Make sure that you do not just say, okay, I went out and got that certification in order to get this job. I'm done now and no more. But that's one of the reasons I have a lot of, a lot of the acronyms, a lot of the, the titles or the, the certifications after my name is because I'm continually learning and keeping them up to date and adding new ones as time goes on. And then the third thing is, is also a continuous learning piece, but it's more of a personal learning piece. I am a, a reader, and I use that in quotes because 
you know, sitting down and reading a book sometimes can be a little difficult with a time consumption piece. But I've learned that audiobooks are incredibly helpful for me to get more content into my head. You know, when I'm on an airplane, when I'm walking through the airport, when I'm out walking and exercising, for example, or even when I'm doing some of my hobbies, I can plug in an audiobook uh, through or even a podcast into my head uh, through the headset and and listen to what's going on and gain enough knowledge, new knowledge and information from that. So so mentorship, education and and reading of some sort, whether that's audiobook or actually sitting down with a book, um, is absolutely important for me moving forward in my career. Okay, and thank you for that. And I know you mentioned the mentors. Are, are there any like a few individuals you'd like to name drop and you know just mention mm. and recognize as being the most influential to you? Yep. So there's a couple. There's um, there is a a former CISO that I have. Um, I'm not sure he would appreciate that I, I tell his name out there, but uh, Roy Mellinger um, is a CISO that I had when I worked at a financial institution about 15 years ago, and I learned a tremendous amount from him. And keep in mind that when you have a mentor like that, you're learning both things that you want to do in your in your future and things that you also do not want to do. So, um, so any any of my mentors, I, I've that, that's the way it's been. Another individual, um, Dr. Gary Johnson, is uh, an individual I, I remain in contact with today, and I remain in somewhat of a mentorship with him today. Um, he's one of those types of individuals that can speak truth into my life um, when he sees that I'm doing something wrong, whenever I'm stressed, when I'm over uh, you know, to going too far uh, in, in one emotional state or another, um, you know, when, when there's a lot of things going on, he's one that can speak into me and say, okay, you need to calm down or, or, you know, what you said in that was a little too harsh, or, or maybe you could have done this a little bit differently. So he's one. And then um, I, I have, uh, you know, I have folks that are kind of temporary mentors, if you will, that are around in my life as well. I've got a couple of them right now. Um, I look to my current boss as, as my mentor. It actually, uh, Jeremy Pease is, a, is somebody that I'm learning tremendously uh, from. And he's actually somebody that's younger than me. The other two were older, but Jeremy's younger than me. And I'm learning from him. So don't be afraid to learn from somebody that's younger from you, uh, or younger than you as well. They they may bring some things to the table that you never thought of. Um, and so Jeremy Jeremy brings a lot of stuff to the table for me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, is there any uh, like common myths that you about the profession or the field of cybersecurity mm -hmm. that you wanted to debunk? Yeah. So. Well, it's not really, so there's one that's a, that's sort of a myth, but unfortunately is also a reality. Um, and I think that we need to combat that inside of the CISO realm, if you will. And that's where, where we're called CISNOs all the time, uh, you know, because CISOs run around saying no about things. What One of the things I learned, and, you know, again, going back to my breadth instead of depth conversation, and, and I learned through taking a step back and going to the business uh, business security analyst role was being able to find a way to support the business. In other words, saying yes, but every time or, or most every time. That way, when you do have to say no, your no means more than what it than just a flippant no. When you're saying no, then people and you have the influence of, of always saying yes or trying to say yes for them, saying yes, but if you do this, this and this, you'll get to the yes. Um, and then you have to at some point, if you have to come say no, 
it's like what I was talking about the CEO. When I pick up the phone and call my CEO, there's a reason for it. So whenever there's a no, there's a reason for it. And people pay more attention to that. Um, another mm-hmm. thing within the security thing, security realm that, that I think is, is either a myth or a misconception that we need to change is, is that um, we are not technologists. Uh, and, and quite frequently, we are technologists. And quite frequently, those of us, for example, that have done forensics or, or done other things um, along those lines have either grown up through technology or have a fairly deep technology background. And we can run, run with the best of the network engineers or run with the best of the systems engineers. Um, and, and so I, I think that if I were not in security, I would encourage people who are not in security to say, hey, wait a minute, the, you know, give these guys a chance. They're not just people that are out there to, to bug me and cause problems in my life. They are actually out there to help me. And then the, the, the final thing would be another myth is that you have to be a technologist to be in security, and that's not true. You can come up through the legal and compliance side of things. You can be an, an application developer, which is not always viewed as technologist. You can be a privacy professional and come up through the legal field from that perspective and still be a very effective technology, a very effective security and compliance uh, CISO, as a matter of fact. Yeah, and, and I agree with you on all that. Um, and, and, you know, especially like the what you said about um, the, the misconception that the CISO has to be, has to grow from technology. I mean, I found that not to be the case. It might be the case with, you know, some countries and some cultures, but mm-hmm. definitely at the end of the day, it's a C-level position. It's a business-related position. You need to be able to talk to the business. You need to be able to support and, and contribute to the business. So, uh, I mean, right. it helps definitely if you have a technology background, but I wouldn't say it, it's a must. Right. Uh, but that's just, you know, my personal take on that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, can you share maybe a bit about the main concerns that in, in your mind that CISOs nowadays like have like, is it around like a specific uh, space or I don't know, around budgeting? Like anything yeah. you might think of. <laughs> so budgeting has been something that we've always been concerned about. No CISO ever gets all the money they want. And personally, I just, I, I put that one aside. That's one of those things. I, I read a book a couple of months ago, said Necessary Endings. It was the name of the book. And it talked about, you know, those things are outside of your control. Just put them aside because otherwise you'll just spin around in your head and cause problems. And, and budgeting is one thing that I've, I've just said, you know what, I'm never going to get all the money I want. I need to find a way to accomplish things uh, with the limited funds that I have. So that, that's, that's one thing that's always out there. But what keeps me up at night is basically what your question is. What keeps security professionals up at night? I would say it, it's changed um, and, and it continues to change. Um, I, I'm not going to lie to you, six months ago, eight, 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 ten months ago, I might have told you that, yeah, ransomware is is ransomware it's it you know we can defend against it we can recover from it if we have good security hygiene and i'll still profess that to be true but the more and more we have these ransomware attacks like what happened to colonial pipeline and jbs and 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 this past weekend with um the reveal attacks uh, against thousands of companies these guys are getting more aggressive and they're getting more forthright and and they're getting they're getting more brazen in their attacks. And I'm that's something that's concerning me quite considerably right now, because yes, I know how to recover from it. I know how to deal with it, but you know, the, the fact that they are attacking so brazenly right now and, and 
demanding the money that they're demanding is is very concerning. The other thing that concerns me is the one thing that a lot of professionals in my role that don't work with the government and, and the military um, don't have a lot of control over, but is a reality is uh, there is a cyber war going on out there between APTs, the advanced persistent threats and nation state type of situations. And one of the things I don't want to do is I don't want to get in the middle of that, although I know that we host companies that that are in the middle of that. And because, you know, uh, any any company, I don't care whether you're a large financial organization or if you're a small mom pop type organization, none of these types of companies can defend against a nation state attack that's deliberate. They have the entire resources of their of their version of the NSA, you know, the, the Russian GRU, the Chinese version, the Iranian version, so on and so forth. They have the entire resources to levy against you. You can't defend against that. Um, you can you can do your darndest to do it. You can do your best to do it, but you just can't as a company. You cannot. You can't. And that goes back to my budget comment. We don't have the budget of a of a federal government to deal with. So that is one of the things that ke keeps me um, is an increasing concern right now is dealing with the nation state cyber war that is literally going on right now um, behind the scenes that people don't realize is happening. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think there's a huge disparity here, you know, of, of not only in the right. US, but uh, I think mostly in the US and possibly Israel, a lot of like private and public companies are being held like, you know, like held hostage in between like nation wars, nation cyber wars. And it just, you know, it's a huge disparity. And, you know, it's actually worth just a dedicated podcast just to, or maybe a panel just to discuss oh, that yeah. specific absolutely topic. that's that Super is definitely a topic that can be discussed for an hour or more yeah yeah I, i'll reach out to you again mm -hmm. about that uh, maybe we can put a panel together or something um anything you'd like to share and again this is optional anything you'd like to share about uh, either your daily uh your daily routine or maybe mm -hmm. and also about uh, budget uh, planning like the, mostly about like the changes from 2020 2019 to 2021 again i'm looking for trends i'm not right. looking to 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 to, to uncover or unravel anything about mm -hmm. your specific company no you're you're fine so um my daily routine i, I call my daily routine continuous monitoring with the uh, with the immediate ability to uh, to pivot um towards an attack so you know, when, when I come in, before I come into the office every day, when I get up in the morning, I'm, I'm already looking at what's, you know, what, what, what is going on in the world. And this comes from my background in the military of reading the intelligence reports as soon as, or as soon as I can in the morning. So I understand what's going on in the rest of the world. Um, keeping an eye out on geopolitical politics and things that are going on. You know, a couple months ago, we had the situation with the airliner in Belarus and how that might impact. And and now we're dealing with Haiti. Um, you know, Haiti's a, a lesser thing, but, you know, just keeping that in mind that there's, you know, there's a, a situation in Haiti right now. And, and, and you know, the, the withdrawal from Afghanistan that we're doing right now and how that might impact uh, cybersecurity going around. So these are the kinds of things that I review in the morning. So basically, I read the newspaper. Um, electronically or whatnot is one of the first things I do. I also carve out some personal time for me, um, and, and I won't go into detail on what I do there, but I, I carve it out so that I can center myself. Um, and, and I'm talking about myself, my, my personal mind and my soul uh, in, in centering myself uh, in before I start my day. I need to, I need to do that. 
Um, then once I once I start my my business day, um, it's again continuous monitoring, looking at our systems, what's gone on overnight, what type of critical events have popped up, what kind of alarms and alerts have my SOC my SOC sent me to review. So it's another intelligence review, or or like the, you know, like the the president would have a presidential daily briefing uh, from his intel units. I kind of model it off that, if you will. I get reports that that come in. Um, and a lot of them I collect myself or come in via email so that I don't bother my team, but I, I analyze those. Um, and then I'm starting from then from there, you know, what are the hot topics need to be done? Um, do I need to talk to other people within the organization to have influence and kind of push some projects along that are not moving? Um, and I go through meetings. I do a lot of sales events. Um, and, I, and I do a lot of uh, these kinds of conversations, the podcast type of conversations as well. So that's how that, that's how my day goes, and it usually goes well into the evening. I take specific breaks for uh, for meal times. I take specific breaks to spend some time with the family, to make sure that there's some balance uh, in that area as well. Um, and then, as far as budgeting is concerned, what's different between 2019, 20, and 21? Um, quite frankly, I'm probably not the best person to ask that question from my own organizational perspective, simply because. Um, we're we're a mergers and acquisitions company, and what we look like in 2019 versus what we look like today, um, literally uh, 150 to 200 people organization with 20 data centers in 2019, and now we have 65 data centers and over 700 people. We used to be just the United States, now we're spread across the world. So, my budgeting has obviously changed as a result of that, but it's not um, it's yeah. not a trend. But I will tell you one thing: I've been seeing as trending in a lot of areas and a lot of conversations I've been having is a renewed focus on the budgeting for work from home security technologies. Um, you know, people are now talking again about uh, at CISO level about saying, hey, it's not a bad idea that we pay for the internet connection in someone's home because then we can have we can dictate some control over what that looks like. Um, there's there's discussion of you know going ahead and paying for that for for each of the approved work from home workforce personnel. Um, then we can you know then we could pay for the routers and the switches that that might go behind that. This software that's on a lot of laptops and a lot of work from home devices needs to be enhanced. And a lot of vendors are coming out with new add-on tools to existing software that will allow for detections and alerting for things that are going on inside of, uh, inside of a person's home that we don't have physically access or physically we don't have access to. And those are some of the challenges that we're dealing with from a security perspective inside of our budget. And I know a lot of CISOs are focusing in on that as their 2020 and 2021 budgeting comes around. I can see in the future that that's gonna run its course and we're gonna to need to come back to perimeter technologies in our office spaces and, and, um, and then the cloud budget. I can see this from the sales side of our organization. There's a lot of organizations that are moving to the cloud that had not previously moved. Maybe they had co-location space or they had their own on-prem data centers because of what happened in 2020, they're now saying, I need that outside of my space, either to place their on-prem data centers inside of co-location spaces like a data bank or moving it straight to the cloud so that somebody else is managing those. And there's a big shift going on, and this will be it, but there'd be a big shift going on right now with people switching jobs. There was a number of people that were laid off because of uh, COVID that are now gaining jobs. And then as a result of that, 
the, the wages have gone up. So people who had kept their jobs are now seeing those wages go up and they're now moving and, and putting themselves on the market and, and looking at new jobs as well. So these, these things are all factors into the budgeting aspect that we need to look at going forward. Yeah, yeah, okay. Thank you for that. That's interesting, super interesting to to learn that, you know, uh, companies are like the trend right now is for, in terms of budget is, you know, basically to pay, uh, you know, the internet fees and whatnot, all, all related mm -hmm. fees for employees. Yeah, interesting. Um, let's switch gears here because I know we're running out of time. Just uh, mm -hmm. a quick, a uh, few quick questions here, uh, plus a bonus one. Put yourself uh, in the shoes of a vendor just for a moment. What is it that, so assuming you're a vendor, what is what is the one promise you make to yourself to never do when you know when engaging with a customer or trying to engage with a potential customer? Yeah, don't don't send don't. I will never send the unsolicited emails, especially the ones that come to come to a play a person like myself, and then a couple of days later you get the email that says, "Hey, you didn't reply to my last email," or "Hey, you know, I didn't I didn't get a response," kind of thing. Those, I know that those are canned. Those are not authentic. Um, if I'm a vendor, if I'm in sales, even if I'm a CISO in a vendor, I want authentic, real relationships with people. I want to, you know, either pick up the phone or somehow, you know, go to a trade show or something and press the flesh with a, you know, with a handshake and get introduced that way and then develop that relationship on so I can pick up the phone and call somebody. Those are the best relationships that I have as CISO. And if I were on the flip side of it, that's the way I would, I would handle my sales funnel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've been getting a similar answer a lot. Uh, and talking about you know vendors and unsolicited emails, what's the most annoying sales pitch that you've encountered? Well, it's annoying and it's sad all in one. But you get some of these young younger people, um, maybe you know as straight out of uh, straight out of college or whatnot, and all they're doing is reading off of a script. And you, you know, part of me feels sad for them that they haven't figured out how to go beyond a script and create their own, uh, their, their own talking points, if you will, and work from those. Or maybe their company's requiring them to read off of a script. I don't know, but those are the saddest because you sit there and you know they're just a, you know, as you're listening to them, they're just a recorded message that's not really recorded. And you can tell that they aren't, their heart's not in it. You can tell that they're just repeating it. And those are the ones that, um, that are annoying and they're sad at the same time. You just, me, uh, I'm the kind of person that just wants to say, hey, stop, okay? You're not gonna get my sale, but let me give you a piece of advice. <laughs> come up with your own, come up with your own uh, script, if you will, or come up with your own something that sounds real instead of just simply reading off of a piece of paper. Yeah. Uh, and you know, uh, okay. And talking about that, and I think I know what your answer would be for my next mm. question. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, because you alluded to it a few times in in our calls now. But what is it that you are looking for in a vendor? You you know exactly what it is: authentic relationship. So authentic yep. relationships and be, yeah, being and able to you know for for me for me to be as, as the flip side of that you know that on on the the one who's being sold side you know I like to be able to call up my sales guys that are on the vendor side and say, this is what I need. I need a quote pretty quick on it. And 
you know, I'll be honest with them. I'll tell them this is just a quote. Don't spend a lot of time on it. Um, we're, we're just getting this for budgeting or we're just getting this to show an, a potential customer. And, and because I have that relationship, I'm able to tell them that I'm, I'm able to tell them, don't get yourself excited about it. Just help me out here. Um, you know, if, if, if you don't yeah. have that authentic relationship, then it, it becomes this crazy game and crazy dance where they're calling you a hundred times saying, Hey, that quote I sent you, no, I really don't want it. And then you, then, you know, then I look like I'm not, you know, not being authentic on my side and I'm just playing them, but being able to call up and, you know, have that type of authentic relationship is very important. Mm -hmm. And so how can vendors connect you in a non-intrusive manner? And I know you mentioned conferences mm -hmm. and, you know, putting flesh to flesh, yep. uh, but, you know, taking the last year, uh, I, I think conferences are getting back right now, but uh, yeah, it's probably not to the same capacity for now. But uh, sure. so apart from conferences, any other means or channels to connect with you? Yeah, um, actually, uh a means like this is is somewhat of a replacement. So I do a number of webinars. Um, I, you know, if if there is someone out there that wants to connect with me and do a and do a webinar with me, I'd be happy to sit down and do that, and then we can connect from there as to you know what what a relationship might look like. Um, but just generally speaking. You know, go ahead and connect with me on LinkedIn, but don't send me your your scripted thing. Let's have a real conversation um, on LinkedIn or or even via email. Just don't send me your your repeated Salesforce messages that say, "Hey, why haven't you responded to my email?" Um, let's you know, somehow the best way to communicate with me is to have a real and authentic relationship. That's it. That's the bottom line. And I, yeah. I will tell you that most CISOs will tell you the same thing if they're being honest. Yeah, I think I think that's the underlying theme here with most CISOs I've I've spoken to. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, uh, we're all people, right? <laughs> we care about the same things. Um, so I I did have a question I wanted to test on you here. Um, okay. Let's see if it works or not. <laughs> I, I'm I'm curious to to what is it what is it that you define as innovation in our space in the cybersecurity space is it more along the lines of a new product new service or a new technology or is it along the lines of like maybe for you to introducing new practices into the business for example to be able to monetize on security services that you i don't know you might mm -hmm. charge different bus or you might resell to your customers and whatnot does that right. make sense, the question? Yep, it's a great question too. And so what, what defines innovation? And I, I actually believe that you've hit the nail on the head by, by saying all the things you said was, I, I think all of those things, uh, being able to bring new products to the business, being able to look at new technologies, being able to look at new practices. Frankly, also one of them you didn't say is taking a look at old practices and seeing how they can be revamped uh, and and made relevant. The one thing that I, I shy away from is this whole AI um, conversation. There's a lot of talk about AI. Really, not, AI is nothing more than machine learning. It's been, you know, AI is a buzzword. And so I, I don't necessarily see that kind of thing as innovation right now because it's more of research than it is innovation. Innovation to me is, is taking something that's existing and reshaping it to something that, um, that that can be useful within your organization or business, or even in your life for that matter. Being able to, innovation is is 
taking a screwdriver and seeing how many different ways that you could use it um, or a taking a particular software tool that might be designed for network uh, management and seeing how that can be utilized for security um, security uh, you know continuous monitoring or security discovery of the network um, using a, a, a tool like, uh, you know, for example, we use a product called Kentic, which has recently come, it's it's yeah, about three or four year old product, but um, it's recently become forefront because there were a couple of conversations had in regards to the Colonial Pipeline and otherwise where Kentic has made some statements. You know, that's a network monitoring tool from a, and a log collection tool uh, from a more traditional network side of things, but we dove into it and said, wow, there's a lot of things that could be used here from a security perspective and started innovating the tool uh, to become that that's additional additional tool for us. Plus it saves money because we're using the same tool that somebody else is using already. So mm -hmm. uh, innovation is, is to me is taking existing tools, existing situations and making them better, making them more useful inside of your environment. Okay, that's a great answer. Thank sure. you for that. And just before we wrap this up, uh, one final question. If you had unlimited funds, or let's just rephrase it, if money was never an issue, what would you do with your life? Do you see your day mm. would be different or? No, see, I, lo I love my job. And I keep telling my wife, I'll never retire because I, I absolutely wake up every morning passionate about doing this job. So I know I wouldn't do that differently. Um, but I definitely would probably move. I, I mentioned Montana earlier. I would probably move to Montana. I would probably um, maybe shorten my day a little bit so I can spend some time outdoors uh, doing the photography that I talked about or, or looking at the, uh, you know, go, going to see the animals and things like that that are out there. But I would definitely do that. And I would probably spend some time traveling to see my, my kids that are now spread out in different parts of the, uh, of the country. Um, being able to spend more time with them without annoying them too much inside of their homes. Well, I mean, that's not a, it's a very modest, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Aspiration, right? Uh, very mo modest goal. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I think with that, we can wrap this up and let me thank you again, Mark, for joining our call. I know you have a hard stop. I have a hard stop as well. I am looking forward to, you know, continue our, our conversations in the future. Maybe we can speak a bit about aviation in Montana. I have plans yeah. on going there in a few weeks. I'm coming up to Montana as well. So uh, good. Catch up. Uh, yeah, and yeah, and, definitely. And, and I think your answers were great and, you know, great discussion and a lot of insights here. Um, I'm very hopeful, you know, it would, some of them might resonate with, with our listeners and might help some people along the way. Thank you again. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk later on when you get back from your trip and we'll go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, All right. Stop recording.